With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Love Talk Radio. My immigrants, both uh, documented and undocumented. What's happening, Psychic Kessie, to bring it live and direct? Back on the air, it's been some time, I think about a week. <laughs> so, you know, things are happening, but check it out. I don't, want, I don't want to take up too much of this guy's time. I've tried so long to get this show together. He's been bit too busy doing conventions, artwork, graphic novels, and whatever he does out there. And it's like, oh, I always have to reschedule, reschedule. Hey, sorry, when I get back to L.A., when I get back from New York, I'm at this convention. I have to be at this media conference. You know, I felt, I, I felt like I, 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 was, I wasn't even worthy, man. I was like, you know, I'll just get some person from the street, you know, Skid Row, probably get more library conversation anyway. But check it out, people. Long time coming. Long like Leviticus. We finally got Howard Simpson, artist extraordinaire. Known this guy for a long time. We knew each other in, by name only in this industry because we never got a chance to meet. Finally met, had a great conversation. And I noticed every time we had a conversation, it was always – not just about art, not just about film, it was about life and community and stuff like that. So let me give you a little intro, a little bio on this brother, and then we'll get him in, because I think he's still on the, the G4 private jet soaring over Miami. I'm just down here on 7th and Broadway in downtown L.A. But anyway, while attending Temple University's Tyler School of Art, Howard began his career as a storyboard artist for Action News and AccuWeather. Uh, he might, might be able to explain why the weather's so bad. But anyway, graduating with a BFA in, art, in graphic design with minor in communications, so he later became an artist for various comic book publishers, publishers such as DC Comics, Marvel, Dog Force, Valiant, and Disney. His storyboard work for TV commercials includes clients such as HBO, Forza, Mr. Brown Advertising, Amster Yard, Fallon, Miguelia Berlin, and others. But somehow during his artistic journey, Howard also taught at the Cubit School. People, the H to the S, Howard Simpson. You can hear me? I can hear you, brother. We had a bad connection uh, over here. Our server went down, man. Don't worry, we paid our bills. Don't worry. We're covered. <laughs> you know, everything's cool. But thanks for your okay. patience, man. We had a server issue. We had to reconnect, go around a router, do a proxy, and all that good stuff. But whatever, man. 
We finally, hey, man, it's been a long time to make this happen. I want to thank you so much for coming on air with us and spending some time. I know, like I said earlier, in the Lear jet up there somewhere probably about Miami, hanging out with, I don't know, I don't know, Danzel, Bruckheimer. But what's happening, man? How you feeling? I'm doing fine. I'm happy to be here. Happy to finally do this interview. <laughs> so what's been up with you these days, man? What you been working on? You know, everybody's been asking me about ABBA Studios. You know, can you give us a little background on that? All right, give it background on you. What can you tell us about ABBA, man? How did it come together? How did you guys hook up? How did, how did it happen? Uh, basically, it came about around the time I started being aware of the Internet and realized immediately that there would be storytelling avenues open to it, mm-hmm. uh, open to artists. Um, and I immediately started to trying to put a company together to get some stories out there. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I was too early. One of those pioneers, they went away arrows in the back. <laughs> because, you know, there was, uh, you know, people weren't used to paying online and everything, and so we had books for sale, like for a dollar each. Um, actually, I think, I had, yeah, a dollar. And um, it was, didn't didn't go anywhere because there was no way for people to um, really pay for that. We used Bitcoin and other things that were around at that time. Not Bitcoin, I'm sorry, that's around now. Right, right. Um, but whatever was around at that time that there were people using to to pay on the internet. But now people are more used to uh, pay, using their credit card. They trust it more. Mm-hmm. So, and and now there are lots of people putting their um, artwork out there on the internet, putting their stories out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was pretty much grew up the same time the internet did. You know. So. You think the flow with all with all the people putting out work there? Do you think there's still the issue of monetizing their work? Do you think people are just putting out there, just put it out there, or do you think they're putting out there hopefully to get a following or get discovered or you know try to make some money? What's how do you see it from your point of view? Well, I think any artist always wants to work to be seen, and and obviously if you can monetize it, you know that's like icing on the cake. I mean, right. In talking with other artists. I mean, we we would create whether someone was paying us or not, you mm-hmm. know. And now you have a level playing field with the internet because if you have a story you want to tell, you could put it out there for everybody to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so so far, um, I, I think that that's a great thing. I mean, I found so much work by so many different people that right. I probably never would have seen otherwise. And and also a publisher may not even have have published it, you know, because right. it's just different. And also, mm-hmm. they're just expressing themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, with the expression, it comes back to something that we had touched on some time ago, and I think we've heard in our respective circles. When you know, when the when the compos are out there, a lot of us, you know, you're an artist, penciler, inker, colorist. I mean, you do the whole the whole spectrum. My main thing is mostly writing, which is stressful enough as it is, but fun. But I've always, I know the conversation's always been uh, production value, and I think. I've seen people put books out. And, you know, I've, I've never met other artists who dog other artists, so it's not even a, a, a nasty critique, but do you feel that there are times that when people would put their books out in hardcover, in hard, in hard copy, there wasn't attention to detail uh, or quality of art, and now do you think that's prevailing also now that it's easier to put it out online? Upload, send, upload, send, but there's no attention to detail and quality. Does that make sense to you, brother? Yeah, that's a pretty long statement or a question. I'm not sure which it is. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think, I mean, uh, as far as attention to detail, um, I mean, that, that's every artist's own decision. 
uh, is what you want to do. And, and detail can be different things. I mean, because somebody could put five lines, that, lines down and that's all they need, you know, whereas, right. you know, I may need, need to put 100 lines down. Right. And and that's that's what I need to, to, to communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as far as production values, I mean, that's, that's uh, definitely a, a concern um, because some people are learning how to use a computer at the same time they're trying to, you know, put their artwork up there. Right. You know, there's scanning issues or whether you create your work digitally or not, you know, so it's clean. Um, so, yeah, there's a different variety of, and levels of mm-hmm. attention to detail, I should say. Right. Um, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the talent at this point, you know, whether somebody's right. a good artist or, or a bad artist or a mediocre right. artist. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about, um, you know, when, just the presentation of the work. And, 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 that's, and that's one thing, too. There's a lot of different ways to present the work online. Uh, some have some dedicated apps. You know, there's some great companies out that um, are doing some great things. Uh, Comixology used to be at the top of the list, but since Amazon bought them, uh, I've been hearing their uh, yeah, they've changed their uh, paradigm. Have they really? Can you speak on that, yeah. or enlighten, or touch on a little bit? I mean, it was a great app. You know, that I could use on the mm-hmm. iPad or or the phone. And then once Amazon bought it, they, you can't buy from the store anymore mm-hmm. through the app. You have to do it online if you want to purchase a comic book. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the reading experience, reading experience is still the same, but if I'm, if I'm on my iPad, I can't just buy a book like I used to. Right. So, you know, and, and I don't know whether Amazon is trying to get um, people just to get used to buying online and then switch them to their platform, you know, to mm-hmm. Kindle. Right. So it's it's a mystery right now. Um, but as far as some of the other things that you have, you know, independent readers that can do like Comic Book Lover, um, you have Made in Fire that's out there, you know, which is pretty good. Right. And um, and also there are some that create apps just for the comics themselves, you know, like Wormwood, uh, Scroll On. Uh, Nico, which is actually, I really don't like motion comics, but right. I think Nico does it does it pretty well. That's N I K O, and they do a pretty good job of that. Well, what's it about motion uh, comics that kind of throws you off? Well, the main thing about motion comics is I always seem to flash back to uh, those what what. Um, oh no, those '60s uh, Marvel cartoons, but. Where they had, you know, those the Jack Kirby panels, and they they would move an arm and animate or slide a character across the screen. So some of them are really at that level. Hulk would take one step and slide like five panels. Yeah. Like oh my god. Actually, I, I I can agree with that. I can attest to that. But you said it was a Nico you referenced. You said they do a lot better. Yeah, this is done by an animator, and mm-hmm. let me see if I give him proper credit and remember the name. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, I can't remember mm-hmm. the name off the top of my head right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but it's NIKO, and it's it's a really good comic book. I mean, because they, it's by an animator, mm-hmm. so obviously he was able to do animation very well. But he, he picks his moment. He does it within the panels, which I think is really good. Mm-hmm. 
so it's very different, and it's one of the few. Quote, I, don't, I don't even know if I should call it a motion comic, but that's if I would if I was to call it the motion comic, I would call that that one. Oh, okay. Is that Nico and the Sword of Light? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Oh, what is that guy? I know he did a Kickstarter or something like that some time yeah, ago, I think. Yeah, the Kickstarter funded this. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's what, uh, who's that? Imagination, I think it's Imagination Studios. So I'm not too sure, but I know what you're talking about. Yes, I remember that we yeah. were talking about back in the day. Respect, respect. You think with comicology being bought by Amazon, do you think there's still room in the space for another comicology or... What's your vibe on that? Because just them. What do you What do you think? Yeah, I mean, there's always space for somebody to do something different. Just like you know, when the internet was was young and Yahoo was the only search engine, and the other ones came along. You know, some fell by the wayside, and the next you know, Google became the search engine. So right. somebody can always find a way to approach the technology different, and technology is always changing. Mm-hmm. So, and I think there's always room for for another comicsology, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, 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 but in, really, in reality, you really don't need another comicsology. I mean, you mm-hmm. just need something where creators can just put, put, their, put their work forth so that they can share it with people. And whether that's monetized or free, um, right. you, know, uh, you know, it could be either one. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times the Internet audience expects everything to be free. So yeah. So one way to monetize it is to, you know, have advertising in your comic. And I haven't really seen a lot of that online yet, but I think it may happen sooner or later. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, how MySpace was just, it was MySpace, and you saw half the page was nothing but ads, and you saw your little sign yeah. in front of the page. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Let's go one step further from motion comics into film. You know, the biggest thing right mm-hmm. now, obviously, is, you know, events, you know, all these properties, these IPs, uh, for those that don't know intellectual property, so uh, warning my, my my listeners out there, we may switch into like you know terminology. If you're not familiar, just send me a chat uh, <laughs> or a text, whatever. But you know we're seeing a lot of these intellectual properties, mainly from you know Marvel, DC's doing what they're doing on the television. But do you see? Do you think that with the okay, let me come back. Uh, Comic Con used to go back there back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. So when I say it used to be for the artists until Hollywood started creeping down there. And it seemed like back in the day, the artist was there to sell their artwork, promote their art, promote their book or their collaborations. Now it seems, as I walk some of the floors, um, they're there to have their product, hoping that some producer will buy their IP to make it into a movie. Do you see somehow with all these movies, you know, not just the Avengers, but even like the low-budget ones, affecting how the, the, rash, the reasons why comic books are being produced in the first place? Like, I'll produce this book to get a film, or what, what's your vibe on that? Um, well, just to clarify for the audience, we talk about San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. And, yeah, there, there was a time in the past, as you say, where the comics and the creators used to be the focus of the show. I mean, we would be in the center of the floor. Now, um, once Hollywood started stepping around and seeing that there was money to be made there and the audience that they could capture and promote to, uh, now it seems like the the comics, the the um, comic book stores, the publishers, and the creators are all pushed along the side, mm-hmm. um, kind of as an afterthought. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's fed into um, for some creators also to them thinking that now they can get into Hollywood, they can have a film made or a TV show made. Right. And and I think the problem is that they're so focused on that. 
they're not really focused on creating a good comic book. Mm-hmm. Cause they're thinking of it. They're thinking of the end product as a film or a movie, and mm-hmm. and and just walking on the floor nowadays, you can just hear people talking about, um, yeah, I want to shop this around as a movie. People would just produce a first issue, uh-huh. you know, just to get get um, or one maybe not even first, just one issue, mm-hmm. just to try to shop it around to find a producer or somebody that's interested in making it as a movie. Right, right. And and and, and in some cases, it is happening. Because you have some comics that aren't even finished their run to get options. Now, options mm-hmm. aren't anything special. I mean, you, you, your material can get options, and it won't be made for five years, and then it's locked up, and then you can't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, these but things was- happen. And, I mean, because I remember there was this property called Scud. Uh, it was a robot. Uh, right. Robot, mm-hmm. And I heard that had been optioned, but I still haven't seen anything come out yet. You know, so things like that happen. For those out there that aren't aware what option is, what that means is uh, I have a studio puts out a book, and my company comes down and says, hey, uh, gentlemen, we'll give you uh, $1,000 for the exclusive rights to that book to make into a film. We'll negotiate. Maybe we'll have those rights for two years. So now I have the exclusive to make that their product into a movie. These guys can go put in the, uh, the, pub, the press releases, uh, book option and this that this that and that's pretty much what it is. There's no guarantee we'll make the film, but at least they got the money. We got the option, and oftentimes it goes nowhere. So for those that weren't sure how an op- what an option is, that's pretty much the ABC of what an option is. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, I think I covered that right, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it's interesting because I remember I may have shared to you one of our numerous conversations of I think it was last year where they had. Uh, I think Kevin was on the panel, Grievous, and some other brothers and sisters uh, in terms of, you know, fellow artists from Lightstorm, you know, Cameron's company and the other companies like that. And I think Palmiati was up there as well. And I remember he was talking about um, somebody had asked the question, how do you feel about all these comic books, you know, being made into uh, movies and wh- how do you think the process has changed? And almost to a person, they were saying that the process, you know, they, they, they love the fact that comic books are, you know, uh, are not getting the love. Palmiati said that it's always been cool to be the geek anyways, so now all of a sudden geeks are cool. But I remember almost to a person, they were all saying that they like that comic book to get attention, but what they don't like is when people come with their IP properties to them with, like, one issue, and they look at the comic book and say, okay, where's the next issue? And the, the creator says, well, that's it. And they were saying this because it turned out every guy on the panel, and I think it was a woman as well, grew up on comic books from back in the day, so they had a respect and love and understanding of the craft, and they kind of felt that people weren't respecting it by not even making the effort to give a full story. It goes back to what you were saying. Let's just do one issue and hopefully we can get an option. So, <sighs> I don't know, Rob. Yeah, yeah and I mean, and sadly, just to dovetail what you're saying, sadly, it's only in America where comics were created, one of the true American art forms, along with jazz, mm-hmm. that comics don't get the love, you know. Uh, and, it, yes, it is good that, that, you know, the movies out there are making it more, um, quote-unquote, acceptable to read comic books in public. Uh, you know, I never had a problem with that. But some people, you know, were embarrassed, you know, or people looked at you like, what are you reading little kids stuff for? You know, mm-hmm. now with the, quote-unquote, intellectual term graphic novel, um, you know, it's more acceptable to the mainstream now. Um, now, the thing is, though, that, there are still, it's hard to find comic books. Oh. I mean, so even with the acceptance, if someone wants to, 
comics are still kind of relegated to the comic book store. And even though some of the larger book chains are carrying the graphic novels and trade paperbacks, and there's a big difference between trade, trade paperback and graphic novel. Everything is in a graphic novel. Right. A graphic novel is an original work created to be published in that format. Trade paperback is a collection of reprints of previously published work. So they look kind of the same. So to the to the eye, you can tell the difference, but it's it's the content that that makes the difference. Mm-hmm. So so again, you have to go to a bookstore, but you'll just be getting graphic novels there or trade paperbacks. Whereas if there were if comics were more available, you know, being sold in drugstores again or or at um, supermarkets or you know places where you just run into comics like a, as a kid you know I just saw a comic book in a in a um, store on a rack on the spinner rack mm-hmm. not um, the spinner rack and, <laughs> <laughs> and that was my that was my introduction to this whole world uh, of comic books well actually that was my first introduction I found some comic books in this house we had moved into in the basement and then I found that they were sold at stores I need because when I found them in the basement I thought well that was it I didn't know they were out there in the world Mm-hmm. You know, so that was like a big surprise. So you can't stumble upon a comic book store. You have to. It's a destination um, mm. store. You have to decide you're going to go there. You have to already decide you're going to buy a comic, find a store, right. and go there and buy it. Right. You know, I mean, we need more comics in WalMarts and K-Bars and stuff like that. We need it more out there so we can take advantage of this newfound respect or newfound audience. Right. Because sadly, right now, what's happening is even though. You know, Avengers is the most popular movie, um, one of the best that's come out so far, uh, well, along with Dark Knight. Um, it doesn't really increase the sales because it's still only sold to that, that, that uh, we'll call it a big pie of comic right. book fans. Right. So that pie is always going to buy comics. We haven't, we haven't increased it at all. Hmm. Something that you brought up, I think, you know, you talk about respect because this is going to be a two-prong. Let's go back to this, uh, the spinorama because I was, I was getting, I was getting very nostalgic. Um, <laughs> it seems like there, there was an obvious respect, or maybe it was making money for the store because the one thing about, um, okay, for all you cats out there that don't, don't know what a spinorama is, but it's kind of like on the name up there. It was this round, it was a cylindrical-shaped bookshelf made out of uh, white metal. That the comic books would be placed in, so you could spin it around and see your comic books. And it was usually about eight or nine levels up. For those that don't know, now some of those school cats are like, "Oh, please, we know." That. I got one in my living room, almost like that. <laughs> but the one thing I noticed back then, when you brought it up, is that the first thing that came to mind is that no matter what store you walked in, drugstore, whatever, they were usually right inside the door when you walked in. They weren't like yeah. way in the back or by the prescription. <laughs> they were literally when you right there to the left or the right. <laughs> so mm-hmm. and. There was respect then, so I lead that into, I understand how in, in overseas, you know, people read comic books, wherever they are, or, grab, or as books, grown man, young, anywhere. Why do you think there was more of a respect for the medium abroad than there, is, than there was here? Well, unfortunately here, we had um, Worthen, who produced his uh, book that kind of sent Oh, yeah. Into uh, the dark ages, you know. So by writing seduction of the innocent, and then you know having these committee hearings, you know, saying that uh, our children's minds were being poisoned by comics, mm-hmm. and that really did comics in. I mean, because before then, 
he did have adults reading comics. I mean, because the EC comics weren't were not written for kids. Mm-hmm. And but but also at that time, there were a lot of different genres out. I mean, didn't just have superheroes. You, mm-hmm. you had westerns, you had horror, you had science fiction, you had romance, you mm-hmm. had the humor strips, you had you know the Archie type strips, and there was a vast variety. And now we've kind of. I mean, for the mainstream publishing, it's kind of been relegated to superheroes. I mean, you have to go to the smaller independent publisher or independent creators to find a new variety. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once once that once it became a superhero ghetto, so to speak, that kind of and also because um, where you kind of uh, with, with the publicity, comics are for kids. Right. In everybody's mind, it became comics are for kids, whereas. Where in the rest of the world, comics are still being sold all over to everybody, you know, from 8 mm-hmm. to 80. I mean, mm-hmm. to this day, that's still the case. I mean, also, they have newsstands. They, you, could, you, don't, you could find comics almost anywhere, you know, graphic mm-hmm. novels, anywhere to, to, to pick up stuff. And they have more diff- different formats. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was in Italy, and I was just amazed at how many different formats they had. The magazine style, digest style. Um, it was just, it was just, it was an eye-opener to me. You know, I mean, because Europe is, probably 10 years ahead of us as far as the uh, material being published the house being published even Japan I mean they have these telephone style books that they produce weekly you know in black and white right I mean, it's just the, the variety is just amazing and I mean, we're, we're, we're we're so far behind what the rest of the world is doing with comic books and seeing the possibilities that it, that it can have yeah yeah I think availability is interesting because I know we've, we've touched on this that between the area where you reside in L.A. and I reside in L.A., there's not one comic book. <laughs> like, n- yeah. no place. There's, you know, no place. I think the closest one is maybe Golden Apple in Hollywood, way down Sunset. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's like the journey to Mecca to go to that place. Yeah, and even the, even the few newsstands that are, are around, they don't carry comic books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, comic books became, the reason they stopped newsstand distribution because Comic books weren't cost effective, you know, against magazines. I mean, nowadays they're probably cost effective because the <laughs> prices are so expensive. Right, right, right. Um, Still only uh, eight dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How you see this whole Charlie? How, how, how you see um, going from comics to film and just uh, the creative expression overall? Do you see uh, a trend happening now? I know you had mentioned Avengers. Well, you mentioned Avengers. Why do you think Avengers even work when so many other films, you know, with solo characters, you know, Punisher, stuff like that, struggle? We're not talking about the Howard the Ducks of the world. We're talking about, you know, other films. <laughs> but why do you feel, you know, why do you think Avengers work when you had not just, they weren't like C-listed characters. These were the mm. A-listers. And we can't, you know, we, we have to make sure we give love to Blade, who said it off in the first place. Why yeah, do you think Avengers yeah, work? Why do you think Avengers work? Well, Avengers worked for the same reason that Marvel Comics worked and became popular in the 60s. Mm-hmm. They did something that nobody else was doing, which is you take all your heroes who were in separate stories and cross them over and make sure they're part of the same universe. Mm-hmm. So Marvel did in the 60s that, that Thor flying through Spider-Man's book, you know, just in one panel. Sure. You know, sure. Just, just something to, to say, hey, wow, they're in the same world. And then later, when he created the Avengers, were put together. I mean, all those, all those um, characters already had a following. So now Marvel did the same thing with their cinematic universe. They got 
some good movies out for all these different heroes. Then once you put them together, I mean, it's a fanboy's dream. Right. So, so Marvel has done again to DC what they did in print. Right. Created excitement about the characters, created good storylines that made you want to follow the characters. And it's not about special effects. It's not about uh, the powers of the superheroes. It's about the people who are in the costumes. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you put that all together in the one movie, like the Avengers, I mean, there was no way it couldn't be a success. Plus, you had Josh Whedon uh, writing it, which DC let slip through their hands. We could have had a great uh-huh. Wonder Woman movie with Josh. So go ahead. I'm, go uh, ahead. Elaborate. Go Warner ahead. Warner Brothers or somebody has had the role after they saw what Josh did with the Avengers for letting can him elab- escape. Can you elaborate on that Wonder Woman aspect? Well, just some people that, that aren't in the know. <laughs> okay, so there's been a Wonder Woman movie in development for years. They've had many different writers. Finally, just when we thought we fandom thought, oh, Josh Whedon was assigned to write. Well, he he can write women. He wrote mm-hmm. Buffy. He wrote um, Firefly and Serenity. You know, all these strong female characters. So that's the perfect guy you want to be writing Wonder Woman. Right. For some reason, Warner Brothers passed on his script. For some mm-hmm. reason, they think it's hard to explain to an audience that have an Amazon princess from this island of just women and that we won't get it, that the mm-hmm. audience won't get it. Mm-hmm. And yet Marvel can come out with Guardians of the Galaxy with a talking raccoon and a walking <laughs> plant. <It's true. laughs> so I think Warner Brothers just doesn't really respect the audience if they think we can't figure out. Wonder Woman is. I mean, you had a successful Wonder Woman TV show, Linda Carter, that's still to this yeah. day what everybody refers to. Mm-hmm. I mean, and she still looks like she could probably play Wonder Woman. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. um, but in any case, I mean, for me, the most recent thing, I, I think uh, Xena Warrior Princess, which my mom turned me on to, right. I always see that as Wonder Woman. Right, <laughs> right. Mind, that was Wonder Woman. I mean, mm-hmm. they could have done something like that. It would have been great. Um, yeah, so that's the Wonder Woman story. <laughs> it's interesting because when you had mentioned back in the day with the comic books of Spider-Man and you know Thor popping up, I think a lot of this generation that's getting turned on the comic books forget that um, uh, there was actually crossovers like when the Incredible Hulk was a TV series. I remember Thor appearing on there, and I think even Doctor Strange made an appearance on that Incredible Hulk TV series. Uh, I don't know about Doctor Strange, but I know Daredevil did. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and uh, one more person. Well, maybe we'll talk to you, but I'll probably miss that one. Right, right, right. So now, now, now let's go back a little bit because we have to uh, uh, be. Uh, I don't want this guy to be an asterisk. We talked about Blade. Mm-hmm. Why? What? First off, what was your impression of Blade? First, you know, uh, when Blade first came out, and why do you feel, or do you feel, that Blade still doesn't get the proper credit for bringing comic book IPs into the into the the mainstream? But I definitely liked Blade when it first came out, and that set a new standard for superhero films. Mm-hmm. And I think it surprised everybody, you know, how good it was, and also that it became very popular. Um, and because it was a character that was unknown. Um, to the, to the, I mean, it wasn't Superman or Batman or Spider-Man or Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. And, and it just shows that if you have good writing, you have good production values, and you respect the material that you can produce a good uh, movie. And I'm going to say comic book movie. I'm, I'm just saying movie, period. Movie, yeah, yeah. 
you know, so and and I'm not I'm not sure. Um, I mean, because I, I don't the people I hang around with give right. blade the respect, so I'm not sure how it it, it is on outside my circle. Right. You know, whether it's people forget about it or not, because people do kind of go to X Men first. I do notice that when Blade mm. was the one that really opened the door for X Men to happen. Mm. X Men. Oh, God. I uh. Anyway, <laughs> part two of the show. You know, I'm getting emails here. I'm getting actually texts here on, on my little chat room about why I'm talking about X Men. Okay, people, let me get this out of the way. It, it was from the worst. You know, they got. Charles Xavier, correct. They got him proper with um, mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart. Um, little suspect on the Magneto, but whatever. He's come from the Royal Shakespeare Cinema, so he brings some skills there. You know, we can give that up. Uh, the story of Wolverine, I think if they had gotten their first choice, Russell Crowe would have been deep, but he didn't want to do the sequel. He was smart. He wanted to get a better deal. They had um, Do Gray Scott from Mission Impossible, but he injured his ankle, so I'd love to see the footage they shot with him. So they got Hugh Jackman, who I still think I still can't see it as Wolverine. For some reason, I don't know why. But the issue for me, and I know people out there holding their breath, their bated breath, it was the casting of Hallie as Storm. And I love Hallie. I know what she wants to do. But I think there they kind of looked at Storm and said, okay, she's a powerful mutant. Let's get the, let's get the popular black actor to play her and let's just focus on the other characters. And I think, I think for me that was just the weakest link in X-Men when it came out. I just didn't see the, the full four post foundation of the X-Men universe. I just didn't see it. And since then, I just think it's pretty much went downhill since then. That's just my personal opinion. Hey. But, you know, back to you. Anyways, Avengers. Avengers coming out. That's done. But yet, I notice every time we have a conversation, you always seem to elaborate on Marvel may have the cinema, but DC has the TV medium. Can you speak on that, my friend? Yeah, consistently DC has ruled TV. I mean, with animation, live action TV shows. I mean, I can't. I think since um, I mean, it goes all the way back to George Reeves' Superman. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was on air quite a while, and then and then, then in the sixties you had the Batman TV show with Adam West and Burt Ward, and then in the seventies that's when we started. Um, well, no, I think the sixties. But at the end of the 60s, 70s, they started with the cartoons, mm-hmm. and then they were on all the time, and that was great too. Um, and and then and then um, I think the next thing they had was uh, Lois and Clark. No, no, no. Oh. Actually, they had a Superboy uh, show that was really good, well uh, done. A lot of people forget about that. That's right. And that's right. That wasn't canceled because it was had poor viewing or poor ratings. It was canceled because Lois and Clark was going to come on. Oh, it was either Lois Clark was going to come or the, or the new Superman movie was coming out, and they didn't mm-hmm. want to Superman. You know, to be, I, I, once again, Warner thought it would be confusing. Mm-hmm. You can't have a Superboy on TV and a Superman in the theaters <laughs> or the Clark would start. So I right. forget which one it was at the time. Right. But in right. any case, Lois, they, they killed that a perfectly good show and went with um, Lois and Clark. And mm-hmm. so since then, I mean, there's always been some representation of DC mm-hmm. on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and now with um, Cartoon Network being under Warner Brothers' banner, mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's no reason why they can't have a presence anymore. I mean, now that may change with Marvel being under the Beast, uh, Disney banner, and they're mm-hmm. definitely pushing that. Um, mm-hmm. One of the reasons is Disney brought Marvel is because they wanted more of a boy audience. Right. They have a girl audience now with the princess films and everything. Mm-hmm. 
but mm-hmm. they wanted more of that boy on it. And, and so Marvel was a smart buy for them to do that. And mm-hmm. so they're definitely pushing it on Disney XD. You know, and you got the cartoons all over the place. Right. Hmm. Why do you think so now... I it shouldn't be all over the place because yeah. they're still on Disney Channel. You know, it seems sure. like it's somewhat different, but you have Disney, you have Disney XD, but they're mm-hmm. still... Uh, I mean, you should have a, a S.H.I.E.L.D., mm-hmm. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. On, on ABC, which Disney's own also. So right. they're starting to expand more and more. Now they have the Netflix deal where they're going to be doing Daredevil and some other characters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're starting to get out there. Mm-hmm. So if you want to talk about, if we go to TV, we have Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. on one side, which I just really can't get into for some reason. But then on the other side, what you all have been talking about is Arrow. So... Why is it Arrow getting all this love? And it's kind of like when they talk about Arrow, you know, it's always thumbs up or with exclamation points. But with Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's kind of like, okay, ratings are down just a little bit, but they have a guest star coming in, <laughs> Lady Sif, and now they're into this new show, uh, Flash. So why do you think Arrow works where Angel of Sh- Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't? Or is it just two different aesthetics altogether? So can you be compared? What's your vibe? Um, I think it's two different aesthetics in that with Arrow, um, the source material is really respected, and you have a lot more people who are involved in comics working on the show as producers, writers, you know, whatever. And and also with, with Warner Brothers being behind it, you know, really giving it its full blessing. I mean, it became uh, right off the bat, you know, a, a good show because you got a, a nice hardcore hero. You know, it's a very, a very different from Smallville, so it had a whole different vibe to it. And, I mean, it really, you really um, got into the characters. And also they, they started teasing us right away, you know, with other characters. You know, you had, you know, Laurel Lance there, and maybe she's going to become the Black Canary, but then they put the YouTube and had somebody else be the Black Canary. Mm-hmm. And and the villains, you know, were good choice of villains that were happening, so it was really good. Uh, very well written, and again, it was, it was about the characters. Um, I think the reason Agent Shield didn't take off as 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 well as Arrow did was because, I mean, the first few episodes, it was confused. Like, who was the villain? I mean, there was no clear villain. It was always just somebody who just happened to get caught up in some circumstances. Right. So I didn't really get a sense of good or evil or what was going on, and it seemed to be kind of floundering because the whole time I was wondering, well, where's Hydra, you know? Right. Their main villain. Hell, Hydra. But they were saving that up, you know, for Captain America. <laughs> right. So so all those episodes were kind of setting the groundwork for what would happen in Captain America, which eventually spilled over into the TV show for S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. And then S.H.I.E.L.D. became much better because now – I, and at first, I was saying it became better after the Captain America movie. But actually, if it wasn't for those previous episodes that I had watched before, mm-hmm. then the episodes after the Cap movie wouldn't have been as um, as gripping. Because now you knew the characters, you knew how every character was supposed to interact with each other and mm-hmm. create all this tension, which was good, dramatic tension, and good character mm-hmm. interaction also. So, so S.H.I.E.L.D. picked up a lot after the movie. Right, right. I, I, maybe I'll check it out one day. I'm still not so sure. I, I, you know, when I, when I look at Deathlock and Deathstroke, <laughs> it's just... Yeah, okay. yeah, it's a big It's like night and day, brother. <laughs> I mean, it's like night and day. And I'm not really into any yeah. DC shows. But I got an e- actually, I have an email here. Uh, actually, I actually have a couple, a couple of questions. It's going to uh, um, getting into the industry as it is. What advice do you have um, 
maybe we should break this down with a comic book before we get into because you know we do you know film also. But what advice do we have for cats today in terms of breaking into the industry in terms of comic books, illustrating, penciling, whatever it may be? What what would you share? Well, well now we have to define what breaking into the industry is because to become a working artist. No, 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 I understand, but okay, go ahead. Because for some people, breaking into industry is working for DC or Marvel, Mm. and maybe to some small extent, uh, Dark Horse or Image. Right. For other people, breaking into industry is just publishing a comic book. Mm. Now, now, as far as being a working artist, Mm. if you want to be a working artist, I mean, that can happen both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you can publish a comic book, I mean, but you're putting your money into it first. You're putting all that stuff up front first for it to happen before you get a return on it. Right. And that may happen, that may not happen. Um, also, um, some people just produce just for the love right now. I mean, they have their day job. Because you have a lot of people now who are in animation industry, in the film industry, mm-hmm. who, who grew up reading comic books, and now they have this avenue where they can publish, you have these different internet publishers, the like Kablam stuff that have produced limited runs of comic books, and you know printing's getting um, not less expensive, but it's it's more it's more within the reach of a person than it would have been like 20 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, because again the technology is changing, so digital makes printing a lot easier. You don't have to have film mags made mm-hmm. or plates made. Um, so that changes the, the cost dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as far as being a working artist, again, you're taking a chance when you do it by yourself. So you may or may not become a working artist. But if you really want to become a working artist, you pretty much have to work for either DC or Marvel or, or a larger company that's producing comics. And Disney, I've heard rumors about Disney getting back into publishing comics, but they may not be about Marvel. So. Right. I suppose suspect sooner or later you'll see the Disney characters under that line or maybe under a, a umbrella of Marvel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you need comics where there's an entry point for kids. I mean, mm-hmm. you need an eight-year-old to discover a comic book. I mean, I feel sorry for eight-year-olds. Well, actually, the eight-year-old today is a little bit more sophisticated eight-year-olds <laughs> a few years ago. So <laughs> right. I shouldn't feel so sorry for them. I mean, <laughs> some of the video games they play. Oh, my um, God. But, but still... Uh, I still feel a little regret in some way that a eight-year-old can experience a comic that's aimed at them uh, where it's just fun. You know, I mean, everything's just become so dark and serious and, you know, anti-heroes. I mean, I think it's good to have Archie Comics. It was still one of the best-selling lines in comics. And... But, you know, you you need other entry points. You need the Disney stuff out there, Mickey Mouse, whatever, and, and other things. You know, I mean, I mean, really, I'm racking my brain right now to try to think of something modern that mm. eight, I would give an eight-year-old. You know, they're reading Hunger Games. <laughs> so, yeah. That's what it seems like, the thick novels. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. When you go out, when you're at Comic-Con or something like that, or you see the portfolio reviews, and say you're at the table, and the line's long, mm-hmm. and the next person now uh, seeing number 48, their person walks up to you, what do you want to see, say it's a, we'll say it's a penciler, what, would, what do you want to see in that portfolio that would make you want to give them some, you'll give, because you've always given positive support and uh, critique, not criticism, but you give, you know, positive observation of their work. But what should be in that portfolio, quality of work, what should they have 
to really have a chance to come work with, we'll say, ABBA Studios? Uh, well, the first thing for the portfolio is you only have 12 to 15 pieces in it, and maybe 12 nowadays because the Internet makes people a little bit more attention-deprived. Uh, mm. So 12 at the most. That's it. You don't need to bring everything you've ever drawn in your life. It should all be organized <laughs> inside sleeves. Nothing should be hanging out pockets. Oh, yeah, here's this, and stuff falling out. It should be very professional and organized and buy a portfolio from the art store they're already there for you and and uh, and comic books is about telling the story it's not about doing pinups you'll you'll get the, the chance to do pinups and covers if they hire you you'll get that later you don't need to put that in your portfolio now um, so what you want to do is show different moods different themes different genres so within those 12 pages break it down to three or four pages and have one complete sequence of three pages, so maybe one, three pages of, of um, just regular people, another three pages maybe with some superhero action, maybe another three pages with a Western, maybe another three pages that's you know, dark and gritty, maybe another three pages that have humor. You know, show, show your range, show what you can do, but above all, each, each sequence, each that a page it has to tell one complete story. And I'm not talking about, you know, a beginning, middle, or end, but within that, that sequence, like, for instance, if you just look at a comic book and you, and you think, I could tell the story better than that, pick the three weakest pages and tell that story better in your portfolio. Ah, right. Mm. I like that. Say that one more time. <laughs> what the, the whole thing or the last one? <laughs> oh, not the whole thing. I just like the part where you had mentioned. <laughs> we had mentioned if you think you do it better, get the get the weakest part and give me three pages of that. That I like. Yeah. That I like. Yeah. That I, like. I mean, because a lot of times people think they have to have a script, so we need to write a script for them, and that's a problem too. Because if you're with uh, an amateur writer oh. who hasn't had anything published, mm. that writer is still struggling through telling the story. Also, mm-hmm. um, so. Your mis- his mistakes or her mis- his or her mistakes are going to be be repeated when you draw it. Right. I mean, so the best thing to do, and it's something that you don't have to, you don't got to wait for because you already have comic books in your house if you're interested in it. Like I said, just find three pages that you think you can draw better, and tell that story those three pages better. Mhm. Mm. I mean, and there are scripts available online, some professional scripts. Uh, the thing is that I think. People don't make good choices when they choose what pages they want to do. Right. The fighting. Yeah. I mean, you have to choose. The artist has to choose something that's going to showcase their work. And they can't be, they can't feel like tied out or have to do what the script said. Mm-hmm. The, when I'm looking at a portfolio, when editors look at portfolios, they're not reading in the script. They're looking at your work. They're being, you're right. being evaluated on how you tell the story as an artist, not on what somebody wrote. Mm. I mean, even when I got in, I mean, the first script I got, I started changing things because to make the story flow better, because that's my job. Mm-hmm. But so now, right from the beginning, I was a hard head. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I can uh, add some stuff on the writing side, uh, a, a little feedback to, uh, since you brought that up, you're probably going to be cringing when you brought that up. <laughs> People out there in the world of this diaspora of creativity, let me, uh, lend me your ears and let me say this. Just because it looks like a script does not mean it's good. 
And just because yeah. you got final draft does not mean it's a script. <laughs> you must understand the process of writing. You must respect the process of writing. And you must be able to write to tell a story. There is not a simple thing of one, two, three. There has to be some substance in there. I just had to put that in there for the writers because, you yeah, know. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Yeah, cause yeah. Some people think, oh, they got the software, like you said, final draft. Hey, I'm a writer. Uh, no. And I will say why, because when I have done um, script readings for several film festivals, which I definitely enjoy, you can usually tell who bought the script software and just had an idea versus who's submitting their 19th draft because it's just mm. so deep. People, writing involves, first off, you have to know the story you're writing. Don't look at X-Men and try to do something like that. Don't look at Ava Studios' work and try to do something like that. What story do you as a writer want to write? Now, do you know the, have you done research on what you want to write? Because there's nothing worse than a soulless script when it's just information, but there's no soul to it. There's no reason to turn the page. There's no reason to even pick it up in the first place. Okay, that's my tangent right now for writers. We'll do that in our next, in our next show. This is really about you, the artist. So I'll be quiet. So, Mr. <laughs> Simpson, some time ago, and you're working on this now, we, came, we collaborated on a project. You came out as a director and things like that, and we collaborated on a project called Border Clash. So how about you set some light on your directing work on that, please? Um, it was very exciting to, to, to be involved in the project. I mean, Say wrote it. He's being humble here. Your um, show, man. <laughs> 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 and and um, you know it's very good to to work on something. And it's a fan film, so it's featuring um, uh, Misty Manico Ling Wing, who had been called various names: Daughters of the Dragon, and now Heroes for Hire. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, as 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 people who are into comics, and we respect the material, so we respect the characters, and that's how we approached it. And that's how I approach it as to bring out the characters, to bring out their motivations, you know. So so while the actors and actresses, you know, they didn't read these particular books, you know, I was there to say, okay, well, this is the situation between you and this character. This mm-hmm. is why you hate each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so because I had that knowledge as a director, I was able to give that to them so their motivations, you know, were set when they're doing the scene so they fully understand uh, what I'm trying to get across. So, you know, so I, I'm not acting anything out for them, but I'm just letting them know what feelings they should be expressing and what's behind the thing. So I'm giving them some substance uh, to the words that they're saying, so that right. so that they come out with some truth to them. And then, and I think they all did an excellent job of that. I mean, because watching, I, I mean, we yeah. just finished. Um, we're just on the final edit for our first episode, which will be releasing soon right, for right. all the public to see. Right. And, just watch it, and just watching it again, uh, I'm just I'm just so proud of the work that that the actors did on this. I mean, because it's just really good. They really did a good job. Yeah, 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 yeah. Coya Webb. Uh, can, wait, can, uh, wait. Can we actually speak who's in the first episode. Or don't say nothing. Give me, give Coya, Tamiko Brownlee. Okay, yeah, we'll Devon give you the actors. Yeah, oh, oh my God, Javon! Jo- oh Lord, Javon Johnson, Tamiko uh, uh, Brownlee, vicious martial artist, mm-hmm. vicious martial. I think she's mm-hmm. 
Avatar or Airbender. I mean, my gosh, he's so we love you, my dear Javon Johnson, who actually flew in to do a scene. So he came in and nailed it as usual. Koya Webb, Mike. Oh my God. Oh my God. I mean, we get anybody in. Justice. (laughs) She. Yes, people. Okay, so he let it slip. Yes, Misty's in there, and Koya Webb does Misty Knight proper. (laughs) All right, we're not talking Mm -hmm. proper. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fun. I think. It helped, because you touched on something, it really helped you lensing it because you already knew, it was like you was talking about how Josh did Serenity and those kind of characters. Mm-hmm. You knew these characters, and I think the one thing I very I admire is how you were able to convey to folks who don't even know the characters, okay, this is what this character is feeling, this is the backstory of why they're feeling this, and this is why they're reacting, and how Tamiko, uh, Tamiko I think she announced it, and Koi and Javon just went with it. Is, is it, I took it as though, and maybe you can disagree, but I took it as though, because like you said, you knew the, you knew the genre. How much did that really mm-hmm. help with people who don't even know these? To them, it's just comic book characters. How did it help? You brought soul to it from what I saw. And I'm being, yeah, I mean, you're, you're being very <laughs> humble yourself, so let's get it out there. <laughs> so. I mean, just like Josh wrote and directed Avengers, um, I storyboarded and directed um, Border Clash. So I, I was very close to the vision, I mean, uh, from, from what Saeed wrote. So, and because we're both, you know, from that, from that background with comic books, you know, it was just a, a, just a good synergy. Mm-hmm. So, and, then, and I'm not the type of comic book fan who has to quote chapter and verse and, and issue this. And that, you know, that wouldn't mean anything to the, to the actors. Right, I just gave right. them what they needed to know for the scene. You know, when... When I'm amongst my own people, then we could do, you know, in issue number five on Panel page four. three, this is what happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but when you're amongst people who don't know that, you know, you, there's no need to geek out like that. <laughs> right, 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 right. So true, so true. Yeah. yeah so, it, I, so it was definitely, and it was good because it it felt like, um, it really felt like I was bringing the characters to life, you know, through these actors. And 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 by giving them the motivations, you know, I knew we could be as close and as true to the character as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, because when you're true to something, that's what people, an audience, will respond to. They respond to right. truth. Right. If the artist or creator is not true to themselves, then the audience is not going to respond to that. They're not going to want to see it. It's just going to fall flat. Right. You know, if you're just doing something for money, if you're just doing something to, to hop onto a fad, no, it's not going to work. It's never going to fly. Yeah, you right, may get right. some suckers, but you're not <laughs> going to get an audience that's going to be loyal to you. You're not, not going to be an audience that's going to grow. You know, so yeah. we we did something in truth, you know, with these characters. We didn't make a fan film just to make a fan film. We made it because we are fans, and we want to see these characters get some proper um, exposure and, and done mm-hmm. properly, too. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and I think the sweetness of it was that it was not just, you know, some IP properties of the companies. I had to slide my own characters in there because just to show a little balance and whatnot. Because I have to give a shout-out to Carrie Yoder, who was doing her thing. And, um, you know, oh, my God, Jesse Graff, who was upstairs. Tia, we have to give some love to. And, you know, Colette was there. But, yeah, it's, it's, I think it was being a fan of it really, you know, really, really just, you know, there was, there was, a, there was a, uh, inherent love to the whole group that I saw there. And I just think it was a blast, and I definitely can't wait till that first episode comes out and they see, you know, your direct, your I don't want to say your di- directorial debut, 
um, because I think he was there before. <laughs> but in this genre, I'm going to say it since, you yeah. know, hey, I was there, so I was going to say. <laughs> now, there's another project we, we actually collaborated on that we just released, I believe, like an hour ago, Grace Fallen Angel, where you had the artistic liberties to really get down. And the way you approach that project, for those that don't know, it's, you know um, send me an email or find me on Facebook or find Howard. I, you know, he'll give you his contact before we get off the air. But um, it's a story about um, an angel of God coming to earth uh, at, at the despair of a young lady, uh, how she sees uh, society being dark and, as Howard mentioned earlier, dark and destructive. And that's all I'll say. <laughs> but <laughs> with my writing, if, as the words came from God, I gave it to you to, to illustrate it and do your flavor. But what was supposed to be a 12-pager ended up being a 51-pager. And the style you did was almost a hybrid of so many. What was your approach to that project? Um, well, and actually, I did do it as 12-pages initially. Right. Um, standard comic book size. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and as I looked at it, I said... Uh, you know, it just bored me, you know, and I thought about um, another project I'd done for Internet, game when the Internet was young, and I was trying to do something uh, different, and I said, okay, I'm going to do it in that style, and I'm going to do it where the pages are a little bit more interactive, the panels appear when, when I need them to appear, when I want them to appear, because now, with the Internet, I don't have to have everything be on one page at the same time. You know, right. I can pace it. I can speed it up, slow it down. You know, I can reveal what I want to reveal when it needs to be revealed and keep things hidden. And so that's uh, you know, how I approached it. So basically I broke it down so that it, it's kind of... Um, I hesitate to use the word animated because there really is no animation in it, but it's just right. that... The, the panels build upon themselves, you know, for the story uh, to happen. And now, you know, I could have one panel because also there's a thing where in in comics on the printed page, there's no way to express time, and we have to use tricks to express time. Right. I mean, because when the character is speaking and a, and the character is answering, I mean, there there are two moments of time happening there. Right. Um, but at the same time, I may be drawing another action you know, that has to happen you know, so I could get to the next panel and set that up. Mm-hmm. Well, now I didn't have to, I wasn't constrained by that. Now I could have a character talk and say everything they need to say and then have the other character respond and I could move the panel along. And I'm, I mean, until people see this, this may not sound <laughs> like this makes any sense at all. Right. Um, but really, I think it, it needs to be experienced uh, to to be to be appreciated, and I think they will appreciate it. Um, I do this in in a, in a, a much a different style than I normally draw. I didn't draw in a lot of detail, and didn't draw it too realistically. I mean, there was some realism in it, but I saved those moments um, because now I, I felt unrestrained. I didn't feel like I had to stick with one style while I'm drawing. And I try to give, I try to have the sections have different moods to them. You know, one was kind of like the childhood innocence, mm. and then another section where you know, the reality of the world just hits you. And and a, a few things I did storytelling wise, where I put a big border around you know the childhood innocence stuff because you know she's protected at that point. You know, mm-hmm. still mm. 
had that innocence in the world. And then once that protection is removed and once what's happening in the world is exposed to that, that, that outer border disappears you know, because she's, she's exposed now. Now it's not just this fairy tale world where if this happens, which this could happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to, if I say any more. I'm gonna give it away. <laughs> right. So I think I, I better I stop there because I was about to say something. <laughs> Walk the line, brother. Walk the line. Know the ledge, as Rocky. Yeah, know the yeah. Ledge. So I'm, I'm, I'm tiptoeing right now, so I think I better stop right there because I want people to to yeah. experience themselves. Creativity, um, you had touched on, which actually, um, I found that when um, when I first came into the game of writing um, and publishing my own stuff, and I would check out other comic book strips because I write screenplay because I'm coming from the film side so I even, write, even with a comic book or graphic novel I write like a screenplay but I know mm-hmm. when I would see the old when I would actually come across some comic book scripts it seems to say okay uh, Batman walks in panel one okay panel two Batman sits down and it just seemed like prison and I know we have to be creative a little bit creative freedom so I know on this one what it, you know my, ad, my statement to you was like draw how you, how, how you flow it how did it feel? And you touched on it just a little bit a few seconds ago, but or a few minutes ago. How did it feel to have that kind of liberty to bring your vision? You know, like you know, how are the legs too long? You know, uh, you make it a little more sexy. How did it feel to have that liberty, that freedom? It's always good to have freedom, um, um, but I mean, I was still restrained by the comic book medium, and and so the freedom that I experienced was just in my approach to it. Right, um, right. Because I still have to tell a story, and I still have to tell panel-to-panel continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the way I approached it, I'm again thinking about different things, and thinking about you know a limited color palette, mm-hmm. um, you know how I was drawing it, and, and when I would draw realistic, when I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's where you know I experienced some creativity. I mean, because even I mean, even though you're saying panel one, Batman walks in, panel two, Batman sits down, there's still a huge amount of creativity that can happen there. Mm-hmm. Um, again, because it's, it's easy to be creative and free when you have no rules or limitations. But right. I feel as an artist, the limitations really bring out the creative process. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what happened here. Because mm-hmm. when I first did it as a 12-page comic, I felt limited. And, right. and, I, and I wanted to break out. And that's what I did. So it's still a comic book, but it's more a comic book for the Internet age, not for the print age. Right, right, right. It's interesting because um, I have, you know, we have the same thing, um, or I say, I say all the time, uh, the less you have to work with, the more creative you'll be. And I think mm-hmm. about film, how the 70s and 80s, and I know this is like, you know, birth of a nation for this generation, but, you know, mm-hmm. the 70s, you know, you had Serpico, Godfather, and all those movies, and even the first Star Wars, when the technology wasn't there, you know, you were forced to tell the story, which I think is why a lot of um, international films work because they focus more on the story and the special effects is just to help the story, you know, something like a Blade Runner versus today where it seems like it's, let's, okay, let's use this camera, let's shoot on this, and let's get all this effects in, blah, 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 but where's the story? You know what I mean? And I, I mean, always feel yeah, like, I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's go all the way back to the movie serials from the, from the 30s, the black and white. I mean, oh, no. I mean, you really had shoestring special effects. And they probably were using shoestrings for some of them. They, had, <laughs> they, they actually had the shoe. The, the string was extra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
No, yeah. the shoestring is making Superman fly or something. You know? Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, Flash Gordon's spaceship. You know, you can actually uh, see the string, you know. <laughs> shooting out of space and it drops straight down with the smoke coming out the back. Yeah, it's yeah, big. yeah. But I believe so, it. But, <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing, you know. So so those three, and, and, I mean, we weren't born during those times when those, those, those serials were made, those black and white in the 30s. I mean, but we, we saw them as kids. It's like, wow, you know, because, you know, reruns, I mean, it's called a syndication now. Um, and it's like, wow, yeah, that's so cool. Um, but, you know, again, it's, there was an honesty to it because that's what they could do at the time. Right. So that's that's what, you know, looks good. So, and again, the story was important, you know, because it didn't have a lot of special effects. It couldn't do space very well. But, you know, you believed that rocket was flying through, you know, because you suspended your disbelief so you could enjoy the story. Right. I mean, sometimes nowadays, even with, you know, all this computer graphics and the effects that they can do, sometimes you can't even suspend your belief so you can enjoy the story because it screams so much that it's computer graphics and it just mm. takes you out of the, the enjoyment of the film or the TV show. Because mm-hmm. you know, it has to, and I think they're finally reaching a point where, you know, they're dialing it down um, so that it's integrated into the whole and I think Avengers was a perfect example of that. I mean, because there was not one point that I thought about computer graphics in the whole movie. Right. I, mean, I just enjoyed the movie. I wasn't thinking about, oh, that's a good effect, that's a good effect. Right, right. Yeah, I was thinking about that when we, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, you know, yeah. just, yeah. you know, Same I thing. think it's been out, yeah, I think it's been out long enough so I can actually say a couple of scenes, but, you know, the scene where, you know, first off, the way they introduced him was like, if you didn't read a comic book, you could tell this guy was about death and destruction. But mm-hmm. he wasn't, they, he, you know, Black Widow was supposed to be, you know, I'm every woman, whatever. But then when Winter Soldier showed up, get out the way, get out the way, right? And, she, and he shot her. But then after mm-hmm. all that mass destruction, let's kidnap Fury, they still had that scene where he was strapped to the chair and they had to wipe his memory. And you could just hear mm-hmm. the scream of anguish where he was pretty much treated like a thing, not a villain. And I know maybe some people may look and say, yeah, whatever. But me as a writer, it shows a little depth to that character. Even towards the end when he struggled, uh, I'm not going to fight you. And he's still like, well, I'm going to kill you anyway. But he still had that inner conflict. And then they went comic book style or, or genre style where as Captain America is drowning, <laughs> when you saw this the hand comes down, he drags him on the beach, and not even giving him life to life, he just walks off. That's gangster. Mm-hmm. And for me, yeah. that's not special effects. That's writing. For me, that's writing. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, man, yeah. don't get me yeah. started. Yeah, don't get me started. Well, it's okay. We, we, let's go old school. Godzilla. We checked it out lately. Why do you think that worked? Yeah. Or if you think it worked, what was your five? Not a lot of effects, considering, I think, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, what not a lot of effects that are obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely liked the new Godzilla movie, and I felt they followed the Japanese formula for the film, um, and that's what's worked with Godzilla in the past, so that was cool. And it was good seeing, um, you know, with, it, with updated effects, uh, and and I think they respected the material, and they also brought it to present day. Actually, they, they made it so that the 1954 Godzilla happened, mm-hmm. and so that was really good. So it wasn't like we were watching a new Godzilla. This was the same Godzilla. Mm-hmm. You know, just more in his story, which is pretty much the Japanese have been doing all along. It's been added on to the story, you know, so. Right. Oh, well, um, um, huh? Yeah, here's something for you. Here, here, here's a, 
respect to the old to the old series. Apparently, I don't have the name right, whatever. But the lead mm-hmm. from the original film, Fifty Four, was actually mm-hmm. they shot a scene for him in this film, and because mm-hmm. the director said I have to get him in there, but for somehow it didn't test right, and they wanted to get more to like let's get to the action, get the scene out. So they had to cut the scene out. But they actually had the uh, guy from the original film. Oh man, mm-hmm. respect, respect, respect. Uh, but I must also yeah, I hope give a shout. I that in the DVD. I'll be looking for that one because that would been so. That would have been like. The, the bridge between the two generations. That would have been so yeah, much respect. Yeah. So much respect. But if we can get a little deeper, I have to give a shout-out to a good friend of mine, TJ Storm, because apparently he did the uh, motion capture for Godzilla. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah, it's on his Facebook. Check him out, people. T, you know, letter T, J Storm. You know, no J-A-Y, just TJ and Storm. Yeah, he did. I found yesterday he did the motion capture for Godzilla. So I'm, I'm like, okay, now I know Godzilla. <laughs> Yeah, man. All right, all right, all right. Hey, uh, before we forget, I don't want to rush it out. I always have some close-out music. We have about 14 minutes left. How can people reach out to you? I have another question here, but how can people reach out to you? How can they locate you? Uh, you can definitely contact me through my website, which is abadabba.com. So it's A, D is in boy, B is in boy, A, D is in dog, A, B is in boy, B is in boy, A, abadabba. Spelled the same backwards and forwards. And all my social media links are there. Uh, you can see a lot of my art and uh, other com- comics that I'm doing currently. Because most of the comics I'm doing now are on the internet, even though I have, have one coming out soon. But I um, don't know when that's coming out, so I can't promote it yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah, so that's the best way to contact me uh, through my website, abadaba.com. So you can email me, contact, connect with me on social media. Let me know you you heard heard the show and give me your thoughts, comments, mm-hmm. and start a dialogue. That's the beauty hey. of, the, of the internet now. Start a dialogue. Yeah, and it seems like you do a lot of social media. Is there any sites out there you want to recommend for the creators out there outside of ABBA? Anything you want? To... Well, you have a blog though. I'm sorry, you have a blog, don't you? Yeah, I have a blog, and there's a link to it. It's called Just Create. And there's a link to that from my website where I talk about um, creating comic books, uh, going deep. I mean, uh, if you start right from the beginning, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's cumulative knowledge, you know. So how that so come I about? How do you recommend it? Um, yeah, because that... I want a resource there for for people. Because I saw there was a lot of um, different things, like all kind of directed. Um, so I just wanted one massive thing that would be uh, a good place for anybody to go for any information. So I looked to other sites because, you know, I don't know everything in the world. And <laughs> I mean, there are people who do lettering much better than I do. So I linked it to letterers. And and I haven't gotten the colors yet, but it's just coming. Right. Yeah, right, so I want right. to be a repository for all the good stuff, too. You know, <laughs> I know a lot, but other people know some stuff, too, so... I want to be a one-stop shop for all the information you need about comics. And yeah, and I, well, speaking of your coloring stuff, I fail, I'd be failed to admit that you actually colored the, uh, my Alien Dance series, which I have to release actually in two days. So you, when you, the thing about your coloring style is that, you know, there's, as there's a myriad of lettering styles, the coloring style you use was very unique uh, in reference to the genre, but not unique if you know international palettes when it comes to coloring and things like that. But Howard... Um, with your blog and stuff like that, there's this... Uh, I feel I'd be remiss if I didn't ask your perspective on this, and we may have touched on it before mm-hmm. some time ago, but there's always this saying that 
the these IP movies, these comic book films and stuff like that, eventually it's going to implode. But I believe you said you don't see that happening. If I have that correct, you elaborate on that. Well, because ever since um, the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, people have been saying, okay, people are tired of comic book movies. Not going to happen. But it's always going to happen. I mean, especially now, they're not going to stop doing it because now you have second and third generations of fans who have grown up drawing, drawing comics. And not only that, but those second and third generation are are the creators of the films. They're the writers, mm-hmm. they're the directors, they're the producers. So just like I have fun you know, creating this fan film, they're having fun creating these big feature films or even right. the TV shows or even the animation. Right. Right. You know, so it's like we're living your childhood again. So it's, it's not going to die. And, people, and as long as the stories are good, it doesn't matter. It's not, it's not a comic book film. It's a well-told story right. on film. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I don't, I don't think it's, it's going to die. Why do you think people will in say films? that? You, yeah, why do you think in films? Why do you think people will say that? Or do you think it's just a common... Uh, maybe they're looking at comic books, how it, the market's kind of shrinking and things like that. Or why do you think people would say that? You know, well, it's making always money. a backlash. Yeah, there's always a backlash against genres. Um, I mean, for a long time... Uh, science fiction sold, you know, during the 50s. And then science fiction, oh, well, nobody wants science fiction films anymore. And now science fiction films are back. Uh, then you had epic films, biblical epic films. You know, that, that sold for a while. Then they said, okay, well, nobody's buying it. Oh, people just have a few bonds, and then they think, okay, there's no audience for that anymore. But now you're getting biblical epic films being filmed, shown again. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything goes in cycles. I mean, mm-hmm. even, if, even if the comics stop, Movies stopped. Books based on comic movies. Even if films based on comic books, you know, stop for a while. They'll always be back. Yeah, yeah. Any any film you're looking forward to see that's coming out, or you've seen lately, or on the horizon? Anything you waiting for? In in uh, In comic characters. Yeah, we'll say film wise. Yeah, just film. Yeah. Um. I mean, I will have to look at my list. I got my I got my wish list on on Flickr or Flickster. <laughs> right. So I don't remember things off the top of my head anymore because now I can go look at it. What's my wish right, for next? Right. Um. Yeah, I can't I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now, which is really sad. <laughs> it just shows how much how much internet technology has changed. I don't remember things. If I don't have to remember. I don't carry it around in my head. It's useless information. I can go look it up. <laughs> You, are you looking forward to Days of Future, Days of Future Past coming out? I think it's Friday. No, I'm not, I'm not really looking forward to that. I don't have high hopes for it. Why is that, man? I do not have high hopes for it because it looks like they just threw a lot of stuff in there and they're trying to cover too much and they're changing the story too much. The dynamics aren't the same. Mm-hmm. So, so as a comic book fan, I'm not looking forward to it. Now, mm-hmm. now I'm not a purist, so everything... I see on a film or TV or, or cartoon doesn't have to match exactly with the comic book because right. that would be kind of boring too because I already know the story and I already know what's going to happen. You know, I want them to take chances. I want them to expand the storyline. But this one, it, it just seems like it just disrespected the whole storyline. There's no sense in doing it if you're not going to do it right. right. And this one yeah. doesn't have the feeling that it's being done right. It just feels like there's stank on it. Yeah, I have to concur. I definitely have to concur with that. I think um, the thing that gets me, you know, and again, I'm not a purist. It doesn't have to be like, you know, line for line, 
you know, like I know with uh, Iron Man, I think it was Iron Man 2, that scene where he's talking to his father's hologram or recording. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's... It, it, let me ask this question first. And this leads into why I brought that point up. When you actually read comics and graphic novels, do you look at it as an artist in terms of they could have drawn this better or do you submerge yourself into what you're reading? Um, it's No, I never look at it as artist because since Kyle's book inspired me to draw, mm-hmm. I, I was always drawing while I was reading them, so I never looked at it in that way. Um, mm-hmm. So I can, I can read a comic without critiquing it in my head. Mm-hmm. Now, when I now upon the second or third read, then I'll start <laughs> looking at it from a professional standpoint, right. and think about you know how I look at how some storytelling things they've done or what works, what doesn't. You know, think about what what I would have done, or it'll inspire me to do something else. Um, so yeah, I can I can read a comic book on two different levels. Okay. I was asking because when I brought the Iron Man thing, I remember and I was reminded that since I write, I tend to look at the writing of whatever movie I go look. And I remember knowing Demon in a Bottle, that classic Iron Man story back yeah, in the day that yeah. introduced War Machine, you know, and then knowing that how he was kind of down and he saw his dad, I felt like in Iron Man 2, okay, I know it's maybe, I, don't know, I, think, I don't know if Disney got Marvel at that time, I think it was a little after, but that was an opportunity to really go deep into that character of not just if Tony Stark being this smart-mouthed billionaire mm-hmm. playboy, but now here's the vulnerability if he lost Pepper. So for mm-hmm. me, it was, it, it, so I bring that up because we're not really, we don't need to see panel for panel, but when I look at Days of Future Past, I just see, a, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to check it out, but I just see a lot of mm-hmm. noise there versus I think we had just checked out Spider-Man late a couple of days ago, what have you. Mm-hmm. And you were pointing out things in there because you know that series better than I did that I didn't recognize. Particularly said, hey, she's wearing the death outfit. I'm like, oh, damn, she is. <laughs> but, you know, it seemed to, that, that wasn't panel for panel, but still, they went to the crescendo of her death. Yeah. Does that make sense, right? Yeah, so does yeah it make, definitely. So that shows that you don't have to be a purist, you know, panel for panel replication of what, what the book says, but it seems like something was, Days of Future Past, it's like you were saying, it just seems too much for a story that was really about a girl going back in time to change the future. Mm-hmm. Right? Now it's yeah, like, we lost that. <laughs> like the whole thing. I don't know, I don't know, what, I don't know what it's going to be about now. I don't know. We'll How is it going to be a character, character study? It's going to be interesting. Yeah, they're going to get my money anyway. Yeah, but, you yeah, know, yeah, in the bottle, I mean, that's a good thing to bring up. Mm-hmm. I mean, for people who read it, I mean, that's, a, a, a very strong storyline done by Bob Layton and David Michelini. Um And I thought they were going there in the second Iron Man movie, and it was a missed opportunity to oh, dance all around it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Christopher Nolan would have done it because my attitude was like, let Iron Man come flying in. You know, there's that last suit that uh, Whiplash had that was ticking, and there's Pepper mm-hmm. over there, you know, tick, tick, tick. And just as he comes in, boom, Pepper gets blown to smithereens to ashes. And that's a perfect lead-in to right into part three. Because not only is it just that, mm-hmm. he has to deal with what happened in Avengers on top of it. Oh, man. It was, mm-hmm. it was, such, it was so, such a depth. It was a missed opportunity. I'm just, to this day, I can't watch yeah. that movie. Yeah. All right. Anyway, brother, we are at the end of our show here. You know we have to do a part two. You know, we know we have to do a part <laughs> two. Okay. Some stuff, but I want to give a shout-out to you, man. You know, and your crew over there at ABBA, you know, much love. Thanks for, you know, stopping in. 
thanks for taking the time and you know thanks for uh, being patient with our technical difficulties as Joker said we're small but there's room for growth hey <laughs> <So. laughs> man so right. I'll let you go and I'm gonna play some ed- some exit music and you know you can do your thing and Hey, man, let's set up part two when you come back to L.A. and make it happen, man. I want to thank you for your time. And all you listeners out there, I'm sorry to get to all your uh, questions. We will do a part two, and um, I'll have your questions printed out, and I'll read them off to um, Mr. Simpson, and we'll take it. Maybe, you know, we'll do your Q&As and things like that. But, Howard, thanks for your time, man, and you have a great evening, man. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you also. All right. Peace out, man. All right, people, that was my man there, Mr. Simpson. Thanks for tuning in. I definitely want to give you a shout-out to all you guys. Thanks for your patience as we're going through the technical difficulty. Let me lay in some uh, exit music here, and when we do part two, I'll definitely make sure you know about it ahead of time. In the interim, let's give a little pop, a little love, you know, stuff like that, and have some fun, all right? Uh, Tupac, take us out one day at a time.
came back, what he tryna say, rap? We needin' to change, the drama remains the same. My whole life, yeah. fighting myself, that I can't win. So I'm inviting some help. I take rights from the left, I'm still like a kid looking for stripes on my belt. Yeah. That day is the fight in itself, so I just pray and hope God take a light to myself. No matter how much I try, stay alive, I'ma die, man. Still standing and in love with my pride. My heart frivolous beast, we passed that. I'm trying to keep some income coming in that collect on my ass. Capital rappers in the game ain't changed. And I finally realized that we're not in the same game. The hating the never end, so I guess I deal with it. The profile of cop killers, yes, I'm still. The streets is military, you gotta be a soldier Gotta stay leery and keep your eyes on the rollers They do what they gotta do, the shackle and hold So we gotta do what we gotta do to keep growing One way at a time, keep the faith in your mind And we continue growing one day at a time It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.